when a person doesn't live up to the light that God gives them that knowledge, then God takes that knowledge away. You can't take truth and put it in a deep freeze or stick it in your pocket somewhere and say when it's convenient, I'll respond to it. No, you either use it or you lose it. There is a biblical principle that information we receive results in additional information, but information we reject results in less information. That principle is foundational to answering the question, how can a righteous God condemn individuals who have never heard the gospel to an eternity in hell? Today on Search the Scriptures, Dr. Carl Brogy will look at the information God has given about himself to every man and woman on the planet and how what they do with that information will result in what God does with them. We're in a study of the book of Romans and we find ourselves in chapter one in a message entitled, Are the Untold Billions Really Lost? When the apostle Paul meets those idol worshiping Gentiles in the city of Lystra on his missionary journey, he says, listen, there is only one true God. And this one true God, he said in Acts 14, did not leave himself without witness. And that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. David speaks of the same truth in the Old Testament in Psalm 19. Listen, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day by day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. King David, do these stars speak? Does the creative work of God talk to me? Verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. There is no vocal sound, David says, but their message is loud and clear. Their line, he says in verse 4, has gone out through all the earth. And their utterances to the end of the earth, in them he has placed the tent for the sun. And that is precisely what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 1. The unmistakable evidence of God is seen in the heavens and the earth in which he has created. Do you know that the temperature of the sun is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit? Of course, we enjoy the warmth of the sun that is placed exactly so that it's not too hot or not too cold. In fact, scientists tell us that if there was just a 50 degree difference in the sun, that the earth, either up or down, the earth would either be too cold to live on or too hot to be able to survive. So why is the sun 12,000 degrees hot? Why not 24,000 degrees hot? Why not 2,000 degrees hot or any other number you can pick? And why is the earth placed at exactly the right distance from the sun? They say if there was just a five-mile variance between the earth was in either direction, it would either be too cold or too hot. And why does the earth spin around its axis 300 spin around its axis 24 hours once a day and 365 days why does it go all the way around the sun why doesn't it go around the sun just 36 times a year if it went around 36 times a year then days and nights would be 10 times longer than they are and due to radiational cooling it would either be too cold or radiational heating it would be too hot to be able to live you think that all happened by chance david thinks not the heavens are telling the glory of god and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands 
Oh, the evolutionist said it just happened by chance. Given enough time, he will say anything can happen. That's like saying you can take a bunch of monkeys and put them behind a computer keyboard and let them bang out keys for millions of years and sooner or later out will come a Shakespearean sonnet. Listen, their theory is harder to believe. The monkey story is harder to believe than what God has given us here in his word. But they want you to believe, given enough time, anything can happen. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Bible never once ever tries to prove the existence of God. And many of these Christian apologists are foolish for doing the very thing that God does not do. God, in fact, devotes one half of one verse in all the scripture to atheism. It's repeated one, twice in Psalm 14 and again in Psalm 53. It says there, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible doesn't begin with a rationale for God. It never tries to prove its existence, God's existence. But a sheet para Elohim. Viet Ha'aretz, in the beginning, God created the earth, and he created Hashemayim, the heavens in the earth. God knew exactly what he was doing. He said it all in the opening verse in the scripture. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Actually, literally, the Hebrew text reads, the fool has said in his heart, no God. If you're sitting down for lunch this afternoon and someone hands you broccoli or cauliflower and you say, no cauliflower, you're not saying cauliflower doesn't exist. You're saying, no cauliflower, please. That's what the fool is saying. No God, please. I don't want any. The reason he doesn't want to believe in God is because he doesn't want any of God. The reason he cannot find salvation is the same reason a thief cannot find a policeman. He's not interested. And so according to the word of God, the problem is not intellectual, it's not in the head, it is in the heart. Now I know that there are people today who talk about how foolish we are as Christians for believing the Bible. D.L. Moody, I, I quoted him a few weeks ago and I had a number of people ask, who's D.L. Moody? That's the day we live in, it's okay. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, the Billy Graham really of the 19th century. And when he stood up to preach on one occasion, just before he got up, while a soloist was singing, he was handed a note from the back, and an usher gave it to him. And he thought it must have been important, but it was actually from a skeptic. And he opened the note, and on it was simply one word in all capital letters, FOOL. He went to the pulpit. He said, I received a note from someone in the audience. There's one word on it, FOOL. He said, it's a most unusual note. Many times, he wrote, I have received letters from people who have forgotten to sign their names, but this is the first time a man has signed his name and forgotten to write the note. <laughs> the Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The creation alone is enough to declare the existence of God. The evolutionists say, well, you Christians just believe that by faith. Yes, we do. We believe it because God is a reliable God who has shown himself to be trustworthy. Yes, I accept the fact that God literally, actually, just as he said, just as Moses affirmed in Exodus 20, created this world in six 24-hour days with no gaps or space in between. Look, he could have done it in six seconds or no time at all if he wanted to. God's creation points to the fact that there is a creator. 
And so Paul is saying here that the invisible God has made himself known through the creation. Just as the artist reveals himself in the things that he paints, even so the divine artist reveals himself in the creation he has made. No man can say, is there a God? Does God exist? Because the heavens and the earth shout the existence of God. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Now, Paul's not finished with his argument. Like a prosecuting attorney, he brings a second witness to the stand. He brings the witness of conscience. Now, we just read in verse 19, God made it evident within them. Underline those two, two words, within them. For God made it evident to them. In the same verse, he's speaking of two witnesses. That which is evident within them, that speaks of conscience. That which is evident to them, that speaks of creation. Now, in a few popular translations that paraphrase a little bit more, that make it a little more re readable, they say to them twice. But the Greek New Testament in every text says the same thing as reflected here in the NAS or the King James. Within them and to them. And that's important because he's speaking of two distinct witnesses, both creation and conscience. Now we'll come to it in our next time together, but the rest of the chapter describes that awful expression of sin that the hardcore pagan who is moving away from God shows himself. But even the hardcore pagan, even the idolatrous, worshiping Gentile never loses his reality that there's a God, for he will say in verse 32, for although they know God, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They still know the ordinance of God. How? Because of conscience within. Now, the Apostle Paul will elaborate further when we come to the second chapter, but let's just take a sneak preview. Turn your page over one to the second chapter of Romans and look, if you will, at verse 14. He's going to illustrate in chapter 2 this point that man has evidence within them. In 2.14, that verse opens for when Gentiles. Now, when you see the word Gentiles in the Bible, understand it's used in one of two ways. Sometimes it's used to describe all the peoples of the world who are not Jewish. Or sometimes it's used to describe a pagan. Someone who wants nothing really to do with God. In some English translations, instead of translating ethne or goyim, Gentile, they will just translate it pagan. They're interpreting it. But it's the same word and context always shows it. So for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the term Gentile, not in reference to a non-Jew, but as a pagan. He said, for if, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Yes, they do, implied answer. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Yes, they do. Even the pagans do that. And so Paul here is using the term in that sense of the unsaved multitudes. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, that is they do not have a Bible, they do not have the word of God, they don't know even that there is a book called the Bible, when they instinctively do the things of the law, these not having the law are a lot of themselves. 
How so? In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Do you see the rationale that God is giving us through the Apostle Paul? Not only has God given the Bible in the written page, God only, not only has the Bible here, he has it here as well. He has it in their hearts. God wrote his truth into their hearts. And so a man knows the difference between what's fair and what's unfair, what's just and what's unjust. How does he know that? Because God wrote his law into his heart. And the law of God is a reflection of what God is. And God has made us, unlike the animal world, in his image. And so their conscience, Paul says, accuses them when they do what is wrong or it defends them when they do what is right. Well, whom have they pleased or displeased? The God who made them. And so there's the outward visible revelation of God seen in the brooks and the birds and the butterflies and the bees and the rocks, the rills and the hills and everything that God has made. And then there is that inward evidence that God has given through the conscience as God has written his law into our hearts. So we see God in creation and we feel God in our conscience. One of our missionaries who works with the Arumba people, he went there and I mean, these are real pagans, so to speak, heathen. I mean, they're in loincloths with spears and everything. And he told me it was amazing. He said, I, I got there to learn their language, to translate the Bible into their language, to, to win this people for Christ. And he said, I, I, I got there and he said, it's, it was fascinating. He said, they had a moral code within their culture, a people of 28,000 folks. And he said, it was, it was wrong to take your neighbor's wife. It was wrong to steal something that wasn't yours. It was wrong to take innocent life to murder someone, and yet these people had never heard the name of Christ, had never seen a Bible in their life. How did they know that? Because the law of God has been written into their hearts. The American Indians used to say that your conscience is like a triangle within a man's breast. And when it is good, your conscience, the triangle is still. But when it is bad, it spins and those points hit your conscience and causes guilt. But they would say if it spun long enough, the corners would wear off and you would no longer feel your conscience. And that's exactly what the Bible actually teaches. Some people have said no to God for so long that the corners of their triangle has been worn off. In Paul's words, their conscience becomes calloused. In another text, he says their conscience is seared as with a branding iron. The nerve fibers of some people's conscience are burned out because of, hab of habitual repeated sin. It's not that they didn't have light, but they fought against that light. And so when you consider these two witnesses together to say that there's a design without a designer, a plan without a planner, a thought without a thinker, a creation without a creator is absolutely absurd. To do that, Paul said, is to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's principle number one. All people have some light about God. Now, it's not complete light, it's not perfect light, but it's enough light to let them know that there is a God who needs to be worshipped. But in addition to the first principle taught here in verses 18 to 21, a second principle, 18 to 20, a second principle is taught here in verse 21, and it is this. Light refused increases darkness. Write that down. Light refused increases darkness. What happens when a man says in his heart, I know there's a God in heaven, 
For I can see his work outwardly in creation. I can feel his pleasure or displeasure inwardly in my conscience. But I'm not going to do anything about it. What happens to a man who says that? When a person comes to that point in their life, they begin to develop all kinds of weird concepts about God. Notice Romans chapter 1, Paul illustrates the ultimate destination of these people who suppress the truth. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, let me parenthetically say that some liberal theologians who call themselves Christians, but who are not based on the definition of Holy Scripture, they say that some people can come to know God through nature and therefore do not necessarily have to come to know God through Jesus Christ. Listen. This knowledge of God that Paul is speaking about is not the same kind of knowledge of God that John 17, 3 is speaking about. This is the knowledge of God in creation. Don't ever say in your testimony, I was once an atheist, because you were not. You may want to make your testimony sound more dramatic, but it was not true. You are not an atheist. There are no atheists in the world. Understand that. And even those who say they are only make up about 1% of 7 billion people on the planet. But understand these liberal theologians who say, well, you can know God through nature. He is not talking in this verse of a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, about coming into God personally. Listen, the demons know of God's existence. So follow Paul's argument in this chapter because the point he wants to make is that the knowledge that they do have about God is not enough to save them. In fact, it's enough to condemn them. Notice, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. It's not what they did, it's what they didn't do that brought them into this slide away from God. What did they fail to do? They failed to give thanks or praise. And let me say parenthetically, when you as a Christian fail to give thanks and praise, you too are in a downward spiral in terms of your intimacy and fellowship and usability before God. But here are people who are in a downward spiral towards an eternal condemnation. Why? Because they refuse to honor God. And to give thanks. And so Paul is saying they're not, they're not living up to the light that God has given them. And when, God does not, when, when a person doesn't live up to the light that God gives them that knowledge, then God takes that knowledge away. You can't take truth and put it in a deep freeze or stick it in your pocket somewhere and say when it's convenient, I'll respond to it. No, you either use it or you lose it. And so when a person gets a spiritual impulse or insight from God and does nothing with it, or sins against it, they don't stay where they are. They are sliding and moving away from God. And so instead of that knowledge leading them towards the truth, because they did not honor God as God or give thanks, they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They claim to be intelligent, wise. God calls them fools. Verse 22, professing to be wise. They became fools, and their foolishness is seen in the fact that they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Because they did not respond to the light that God gave them, they slid further and further away from God. Listen, 
The liberal of our day, I heard many of them when I was at Duke University there at the Divinity School. The liberal of our day will tell you that the man who worshipped at the Asher or the Indian who worshipped at the totem pole or the some approximately two billion people who bow down and worship at some object that that needs to be accepted by us or respected. Or some would say, well, it just maybe needs to be refined or redirected. Listen, that is not some kind of piety that we should esteem. God calls it rebellion against him. And so we're told here in verse 24, Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Illicit, perverted sex is nothing more than man worshiping man. It's, it's a form of idolatry. It's rejecting in your conscience what you know is wrong. And again, it's a very important truth and that light rejected invites the wrath of God. Now, when the Bible speaks of God's wrath, it's not a picture of God blowing his cork and, and getting out of control. No, God's wrath in Scripture is always very calculated. It is very predictable. God's wrath in Scripture is his holy aversion against sin. And so when you see the wrath of God in Scripture, you will see it in two dimensions. There's a future dimension of God's wrath, what we often call the wrath of God to come. And so we did a recent study on that in the book of Revelation, a day when Jesus Christ will say to all those who have not received him, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Paul describes this dimension of coming wrath in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, when he tells us to be waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the apostle will say, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, what is he going to do? He is going to be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. To those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. In what sense do they not know God? They know of his existence. Paul is plain on that. But they don't know him in a personal life-changing way. For this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God in Christ whom thou hast sent. And so what is their outcome? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's the future dimension of God's wrath repeatedly described in the Bible as the wrath to come. But understand there's another dimension of God's wrath as unfolded here in Romans 1. It's a present dimension of God's wrath. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Circle or underline those two words, is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Not will be revealed, but is revealed right now. Understand, God's wrath is not always just some chronological point on your prophecy calendar. There's a present dimension and disclosure of God's wrath that is going on right today. Yes, is the future wrath in the lake of fire, what the Bible calls the second death. But there's this present dimension where there's a judicial hardening of a man's heart by God himself. God can give a person over to his so-called freedom... When they repeatedly suppress the truth, God finally just lets them go where they can come to a point where they cannot even 
repents. And so, three times over in the text, it says, God gave them over. I have them underlined in my Bible. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. And this giving over is seen here in verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped the creation rather than the creator God, who is to be blessed forever. People develop all kinds of word concepts about God when they reject the light that God has given them. Hold your finger here, would you, and turn to 2 Thessalonians for just a moment. 2 Thessalonians. Um, remember, all the books in the Bible that begin with the letter T, they're all found in the New Testament. So when you hear of a T book, you say New Testament. And they're easy to remember because they go from long to short. The word Thessalonians is longer than the word Timothy and longer than the word Titus. So you have 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then the book of Titus. Now I want you to see what God is going to do during the time of the great tribulation period. During the time that the Antichrist is upon the earth. And uh, there's a, a future worldwide prophecy that the Apostle Paul makes that, as we'll see in a moment, in some respects is even being fulfilled today. But it's going to be fulfilled in a whole scale way, and it is an expression of the current dimension of the wrath of God. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, if you look in verse 9, um, he's describing the Antichrist, that great deceiver, that is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Satan can do miracles. He can do false wonders. Just because a man does a miracle doesn't mean he's a man of God. Everything that is spiritual is not spiritually good. Now notice verse 10. And with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Some people are not saved, this verse says, because they do not have a love of the truth. Now, a man may have a love of the truth, and he may have some questions. But they're honest questions. He doesn't know, but he wants to know. But there are some people who don't know, and they don't want to know. And when they make that kind of decision, they become the devil's legal prey. And so what we find in verse 11 is the epitome of the biblical principle that we see operating in Romans 1 and that Jesus also speaks of in the Gospels. Look at verse 11. And for this reason, for what reason? Because they did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. This is not the devil sending a delusion. This is not the devil deceiving people. This is not the devil making people believe a lie. This is God doing it. God loves everyone, and He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. But He'll never force Himself upon people. And the more people reject God, the more that they turn their hearts away from the revealed truth, the greater the risk that God, yes, God, will harden their heart. That's why we're told in Scripture not to harden our hearts, that today is the day of salvation. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, don't ignore this warning. We invite you to visit our website, searchthescriptures.org, and watch or listen to the presentation from Dr. Brogy entitled, Would You Like God as Your Friend? 
In this message, Pastor Carl looks at some spiritual truths that every man, woman, and child would be wise not to ignore. And if you'd like to listen again to today's message entitled, Are the Untold Billions Really Lost? Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD of this or any of Dr. Brogy's messages by calling 877-787-7478. Today's program is number ROM4. Tomorrow, the conclusion of Are the Untold Billions Really Lost? Join us then as we search the scriptures. <music> 